Y'all give them another hand. Uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time, or maybe haven't been here in a while, uh, in the back, in the vestibule, we have a gift for you there. It's just a little backpack, a little drawstring bag. It's got some information about our church and some things that are coming up. Um, so if you want to grab one of those, you can as you leave. Uh, also, tomorrow our senior adults are taking a trip to the Comedy Barn in Greensboro. So if you're interested in going on that trip, uh, Lisa Powell has a couple extra tickets, and you can grab uh, one of those from her. Just give her a call this afternoon, and she'll get that to you. Uh, also, our second annual Christmas party, we'll hold that in the gym again this year like we did last year. Uh, that's for anybody and everybody who wants to come. We just ask that you sign up. Uh, by Wednesday night at midnight, we'll, just, we'll read the Christmas story together and have a meal together, and we'll have horses and carriages here. You can take a horse-drawn carriage right here on the church property. So if you want to go to that, sign up by Wednesday night at midnight. That would be greatly appreciated. And tonight, our services are going to be at 5 o'clock instead of regular time in the Jennings building. We're going to watch the movie The Star. It's a really good uh, movie, and uh, we'll have popcorn and drinks uh, for you there as well. So 5 o'clock is the night service in the Jennings building for the movie called The Star. I want to read you a verse this morning as we start. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive a son, or shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. For many people, the Christmas season can be um, very depressing because they feel like they're alone. But the very reason that we celebrate Christmas is because Jesus came to be with us. And so this morning as we stand and welcome with each other, just tell each other Merry Christmas and God is with us.
this is a time we set aside for prayer. So uh, as our choir leads us in this song, when I ask you if you will to meet me here at this altar and let's uh, pray as a family. You can pray as an individual or you can pray uh, with your friends or you can pray for somebody else. But let's especially lift this service up to the Lord in prayer this morning. And if you'll meet me here, let's pray together this morning. prayer we want to thank you lord so much for this day father for this opportunity to worship together father i pray that we'd never take these times for granted father we're so thankful lord for your word fathers we're going to talk about your word this morning uh, father i pray that you would just give us a greater uh, appreciation for the book that we have and father for how that it can change our lives lord even after we're saved how you can take your word and lord just transform us and conform us into the image of christ and Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for our choir. pray that you'd bless their singing. Father, thank you for the opportunity to give. Lord, you've blessed us so much. And Lord, giving back is it's an act of obedience, but Father, it is an act of worship. And I pray that we'd worship you in spirit and truth this morning, even through the offering time. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you, that Lord, today would be their day of salvation. Father, there's nothing more important in life than this. And Father, I pray that you'd save Father, for your honor and for your glory, and we'll thank you and praise you for what you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. of earth on a course unknown, bearing gifts from afar, hoping, praying, following yonder star, silhouette of a caravan, painted against the One king held the 
all lead busy lives, but if we could just stop everything and take a bird's eye view, a little higher, there. Now we can see the multitudes. We are fueled by a shared vision to bring the name of Christ to those who have yet to hear. So we move forward to extreme places, corners of the world that have no access to the gospel. We train missionaries, send them out together, and pray that God's grace be known. We help the hurting, comfort the dying, give hope to the displaced, and have seen thousands come to faith in Christ. We are able to do so much more together than if we were chasing this vision alone. This is our common effort, together. Thank you. As many of you know, as Southern Baptists, we support the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, basically what that does is it keeps our international missionaries on the field. And uh, they're able to pay our international missionaries a full-time salary, retirement, and all those things through this offering. They don't have to come home and speak in churches and try to raise money. They can stay on the field the whole time. There's incredible accountability through the Southern Baptist Convention with our own field missionaries. Uh, when you receive tithing envelopes, which we mail to your house, if, if you're uh, a member here, you'll receive an envelope that says Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. Those are usually given in during December, but the only way that our international missionaries are funded is through that offering. So I want to encourage you to really pray about and think about what you would give. Some people give, um, some people give weekly and monthly to that anyway. Uh, when you tithe, you're automatically given to it. But this is on top of that, and they have a goal each year. I'm not sure what the goal is this year. I think last year they may have reached their goal. But that's the only way that our missionaries stay on the field. And I think the Southern Baptist Convention probably has the best organized uh, way of, of sending missionaries through school, uh, commissioning missionaries, and then putting missionaries in certain parts of the world, and then also being on site to make sure uh, the missionaries are taken care of and also that they're held accountable. So... I uh, just wanted to mention that. Also, next Sunday morning, we'll be in the Jennings Family Ministry Building for our morning service. The choir will lead us in worship that morning, that morning with the Christmas cantata. So we're uh, very, very, looking very much forward to that. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at the Word of God, if you'll stand with me. We've been looking at different attributes of God. We've looked at His love, His grace, His, His mercy. Uh, we've looked at His majesty. Uh, we've looked at His goodness. We looked at all these things, and today we're going to look at God's Word, which is so important. Notice what 2 Timothy 3.16 says. Paul writing to young Timothy, and he says this. He's trying to encourage him as he preaches. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And what Paul is saying there is this. very, And he, he makes no bones about it. All Scripture is God's Word. It's given by inspiration. Look at the word inspiration. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And what Paul is telling Timothy is this. In your ministry, rely on the Word and nothing else. Don't rely on gimmicks. Don't rely on anything. Rely on the Word. In your personal life, rely on the Word and literally nothing else. If you have the Bible, you have everything. What an amazing book that we have right here in our hands. And we're going to give some Bibles away here at the end of the service as well. So you're welcome from your pastor. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, the number one seller every year is the Bible. But I wonder how often we really read it. Lord, if you wrote a book, God, if you truly wrote a book, and I have a relationship with you, it'd be a really strange thing for me not to read this book. Father, help us to understand this is your word. That, Lord, it's inspired. It's infallible. Lord, it's historically re reliable. And, Father, it's living. According to your word, this book is alive. All other books are dead, but this one is alive. What a tremendous book we have today. Father, everything that I am as a Christian comes from my participation in this book. Father, what a difference our lives could look like this time next year if we just spend... A little bit of time in your word. Lord, these pages are inspired according to what you tell us. And this is your word. So, Father, we want to tell you that we love you today. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for this opportunity to look at this book. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together. Amen. Thank you. How many of you like to read? Anybody like to read? You 
Let me ask you this, and don't answer, because I don't, I don't know what you've read. What's the first book you ever read all the way through, from first to last? Well, my first one was probably Dr. Seuss, but when I reached beyond that, all right, when I reached beyond that, I remember, I think it was fifth or sixth grade, Miss Childers, who was one of my favorite teachers of all time, she says, you have to read one book, a, a fiction book, you got to read it, and you got to write a report on it, you got like three months to read it. You know what book I picked out? Cujo. So I read Cujo was the first book that I ever read. That's why, look at me, I don't trust your dog, okay? I don't trust your dog. I trust my dog, but I don't trust your dog. Guess who's been dog bit this year? I have. I won't tell you who, but he said, this dog won't hurt you, and then I got dog bit. I don't trust your dog, okay? Every dog to me is Cujo, but my dogs, okay? As I progressed in my education, left Sugarloaf, went straight to high school. No, I didn't. But anyway, you know the thing. They had something that was really amazing. Because Mr. Burgess was my English teacher. I had the privilege of preaching his funeral. Okay, He was my English teacher. He says, you have to read this book still. I said, there's no way I can read that book. You know, A friend of mine said they have something at the bookstore called Cliff Notes. You remember those? I, re- had, I had so many Cliff Notes. All right, And I made good grades. But I want to tell you something. We don't have Cliff Notes for this book. You know where the word book literally came from? It came in Rome, or even before, when they would take pieces of leaves, and they would bind it at the back, it's like a codex, and they'd say, it's a book. That's a book. And when Christians came along, they said, hey, instead of having scrolls, what we'll do is take these leaves. We'll, instead of having Isaiah, where you're reading it like this, and you have to have this long scroll, we'll just bind these leaves in the back, and then we'll go and we'll preach. Now, early Roman philosophers and the Greco-Roman world, which hated Christianity, says everything that they're doing comes from that book. Okay, If you want to stop their cause, if you want to stop their, 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 uh, the amazing work that they're doing, and this crazy idea, these crazy ideas that they have, you've got to take that book. Because the book has the power. That's a historical fact. And ever since then, really all the way from the garden when, when Satan asked Eve, did God really say that? Satan has been trying to take this book from your life. And it's really a good reminder for us to really remember what this book is. Several months ago on Wednesday night, I preached this message. Eight things Jesus believed about the Bible. And if Jesus believed it, shouldn't I? And I'm going to look at like four this morning. Eight things. This is what Jesus believed about the Bible. He believed that this was, it is, without a doubt, the Word of God. Without a doubt. Jesus would say that what we have right here, this completed book is the word of God. In Hebrews 4.12 it says, for the word of God. That means the word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Here in 2 Timothy 3.16 all scripture is and the Greek word means is breathed by God. All of it. When Jesus in Matthew 22.31.32 was quoting Exodus 6.36 he said this to, to the Jews. And as for the resurrection of the dead, now listen to what he says. Have you not read what was said to you by God. And then he quotes Exodus. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. What he's saying is this. This is God's book. This is God's word. Notice what Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy. It is inspired, inspiration, which means God has breathed on its very pages. In various ways, over 300 times the Bible declares this. Thus says the Lord. Listen to what one scholar, whom I really appreciate, says. He says, the Bible is a book of God and a book of man. God's part was to superintend the writing of the books, revealing its will. Man's part was to write this revelation using a human language and style so that God's message was preserved for future generations. That was Erwin Lutzer. Another scholar says this, when we say inspiration, it's not like Beethoven when he felt inspired to write his symphonies or Shakespeare when he wrote Hamlet. I heard Alan Jackson, we wrote that song after 9-11. He says, it's just like I was just inspired to write it. Okay? Nor do we mean that God gave the writers or the, or the Bible a general idea and they wrote what, the best they could. What does it mean? It means they wrote the very words God wanted them to write down on the paper. God breathed through human instruments and they wrote exactly what God wanted them to write down. Inspired. Peter says basically the same thing in 2 Peter 1-2. And by the way, he and Paul weren't sitting in the living room writing the Bible, okay? Notice what he says. No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Notice that. He says, for prophecy never came by the will of man. He said, man had nothing to do with it. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved. 
So you see three things that God does here. The first thing is you see God's words. He says that it was not given by private interpretation, which means this. The word of God did not originate from the mind of man. They were not trying to prove a point. They did not have an agenda. When Luke writes Luke, he's writing down. He says, I'm going to write down these orderly events of Jesus' life. That has nothing to do with me. I'm just writing them down. Notice that you have God's word. Then you have God's men, holy men of God. Men changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Forty different authors write 66 books on different continents at certain times and at different times in, in their lives. Some 700 years apart saying basically the same thing. That's amazing to me. Holy men of God. These men knew and loved God. They're not perfect, but the Holy Spirit was a part of their lives. And then you see, you see God's word, God's men, and then you see God's spirit. Notice we're moved. That Greek word is pharaoh. It's the same word Luke uses in Acts when he said, talks about how the winds move the sails. The visible sails are moved by invisible winds. It gives the idea of a cork in water. Which way will the cork go? The way of the water. It means to be driven. It meant that they couldn't help it. They were compelled to write it. It means that they sat down to write and God used their personality and writing styles and their minds and they wrote. That's why you can read Peter, who was a fisherman, and you can read Dr. Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, and their writing styles are totally different. Two different men from two different backgrounds, two different personalities, but God used both and all that to write what they wrote. It's an amazing book. It is, without a doubt, God's Word. So you have God's very words here written down. Bart Ehrman, who is a skeptic, he's an agnostic, he teaches at UNC Chapel Hill. Some of your students, some of your children may have taken his class. He teaches religion class on the Bible. And he, he writes books. He's been on every TV show you can think of. He debates probably one of the best textual critics in the world, Dan Wallace. And he does very good. He holds his own. He, he, he basically said that he went through a, a teenage salvation experience went to Princeton, started studying the interpretation of the Bible, and then he became an agnostic, okay? All he does is write against the Bible. He says it's false, it's wrong, it's whatever, okay? Well, he's wrong, but anyway, when he's in his class at Chapel Hill, between 60 and 300 people sometimes, he'll say, how many of you believe this is God's Word? Everybody raises their hand. You're in the Bible Belt, okay? And then he asks some other questions. Then he says, how many of you have ever read the book all the way through? Maybe 10%. And then he'll say this, and he's not a mean guy. He is, he's well-spoken. He says this, you mean to tell me, you believe that's God's word? He wrote a book, and you don't read it? I find that hard to believe. You don't really believe that's God's word, do you? I mean, you think God wrote a book, and you don't read it. And he says he's probably gotten more students at Chapel Hill to read the Bible through those few statements than anything a preacher's ever said. Okay? So you really believe God wrote a book, and you don't read it. I find that hard to believe. I find that really, really hard to believe. Jesus would say, this is God's word. You know what else Jesus would say? This is a historically reliable document. The best on the planet. There's not a number two. Okay? This is the most historically re reliable document on the planet. The Hebrew uh, history of the Old Testament is bar none the best in the world. Rome's is not. The Greco-Roman Era is not. The Babylonians is not. The Assyrians is not. No historian would ever tell you that it is. Think about this. Jesus continually referred to the Old Testament events as authentic history. He spoke of Abel, Abraham, Lot, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, and Zechariah as historical people. He described events such as the institution of circumcision, the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, the miracle of manna, Moses lifting the snake in the wilderness, and David eating showbread as real history, not as folklore or fairy tale. All right? Think about this. In addition to all this, Jesus affirmed two of the most historically disputed Old Testament stories. It is common for skeptics to claim that the great flood and the story of Jonah and the fish never actually happened, yet Jesus vouched for both. Notice on the screen in Matthew 24, Jesus says this, For as were the days of Noah, so what Jesus is saying is, I believe Noah was a real person. For as in the days of Noah, he wouldn't have said it if he didn't mean it. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, and, and Jesus believed there was a flood, a catastrophic flood that killed a whole bunch of people. He says, for in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. Jesus believed in Noah, the flood, and the ark. So if you dispute Noah, the flood, and the ark, you're saying Jesus is a liar. We have the, the, the record in Genesis chapter 6 through 8 
But we also have Jesus affirming that. Also about Jonah. Jesus said this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Historically accurate people and events. Okay, Jesus verified them. Listen to this quote. It was Sir Isaac Newton's deep conviction that the Greeks and the Romans, no less than the Babylonians, the Assyrians and the Egyptians, greatly exaggerated their antiquity from motives of national vanity. What he's saying is this. They didn't record the whole history because they wanted y'all to think that they were better than they were. They didn't record the bad stuff. Okay, They just wouldn't do it. Newton believed that the ancient civilizations lied about their past in order to be seen as the oldest, most advanced, and greatest of all the nations. The only book written by Newton and published was his chronology of the ancient nations where he shows the only history of the world worth trusting is the Hebrew chronology of the Old Testament. Right before Einstein died, he was talking to a Russian chronologist. His name is Emmanuel Beleskovsky. And what they were going to do is write another chronology of the ancient worlds. And they said, we cannot trust the Babylonian history, the Roman history, the Greek history, or the Assyrian history. The only history we can trust is the history of the Old Testament Hebrew Bible. Why? Because it is a historically reliable document. Now, when we're thinking about history... Listen to what one of my professors said one time. He said this, a couple of points. Do not accept everything you read as fact, even if it is presented as historical fact. And all of God's people said, just don't do it. <laughs> all right? Every, it seems like every educational book we have on the planet now is so biased toward one's political beliefs is sad. Think about this. Humanly speaking, every author has a bias or an agenda, even those who claim to be neutral science or history writers. Amen to that. Okay, number, number three, always question for yourself the teaching of those who wish to have authority over you. I was a terrible student when it came to that because I questioned everything and everybody. Think about this. The Bible is unbiased and true. You can trust its historical accounts. I love what one scholar says. He says, Jesus didn't view the Old Testament scriptures as some kind of mythology or ancient folklore. He took the historical na- narratives literally because they were historically true. Okay? Notice this uh, in Matthew 1.1. We taught on this Wednesday night. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. There's enough gospel in that one verse right there for anybody to become a Christian if you know what you're looking at. Right there. What Matthew is saying is this. I'm going to give you the genealogy of Jesus Christ and there's no, no person on the planet that can refute it. Do you realize that Jews today will dispute the resurrection but they cannot dispute that. It's there. You cannot dispute it. I have a genealogy. Now, I don't know anybody that's born past my grandparents, all right? but they, did, they were born or I wouldn't be here. It, you can historically check out my genealogy. You can Jesus's. There's no question about it. He's a historically reliable person. There's more evidence for the person of Jesus Christ and Julius Caesar. This book is a historically reliable book. Okay? It's just amazing to me that people question the historical reliability of Jesus. Now think about this. Think about the things that, that the Bible proved before science. Think about it in astronomy. The Bible claims the universe had a beginning. Philosophers and scientists rejected that claim for over 2,000 years. They said the universe was just stationary. The Bible claims that the universe is expanding. Okay, Anthropology. The Bible claims that all humans are one blood descended from one man and one woman. Scientists disputed that for years. They just recently okay, said, yeah, they all came from one man and one woman. Think about biology. The Bible claims that God created animals after their kind. 19th century biologists argued that animals evolved from other very different animals, but today biology confirms that creatures reproduce within their own kind. And then in geology, uh, geologists would say, especially in the 19th century, that you have all these sediments and all these fossils and they just came over very gradually. Well, now we know that catastrophic events cause some to just pile up and pile up and pile up. And the Bible says that we had a worldwide flood. The Bible is, according to Jesus... It is God's Word, and it's also historically reliable. Why would you not read a book like this? Notice the third thing. It is infallible. Notice on the screen. It is infallible, which means it's incapable of error. Can't give error. It can only give truth. If something is infallible, it is never wrong, thus absolutely trustworthy all the time. Similarly, the word that I use a lot is inerrant, which means free from error. It's the same thing. Simply put, the Bible never fails. Why? If this is God's word, God is infallible, His word has to be infallible. All right? 
God is infallible. His word has to be infallible. Notice in Psalm 19.7, the Bible says this. The law of the Lord, the word of the Lord is perfect. Look at the Hebrew term. That don't just mean that it's true and without error. It means it's complete. It means everything you need as a person to convert your soul is right here in this book. See, we have 66 books. There'll never be a 67 book. Because it is complete. The Bible says it's about itself. Everything you need. It also comes from a word which means nothing is missing. It means without blemish, without spot at other times. That's why when Jude was, when you, when you read the book of Jude, Jude says this. He says, earnestly contend for the faith, the word of God, which was once delivered to all the saints, which means there's nothing else. This is all you have. You have the Bible. Okay? You don't need a second or third Bible. You've got the Bible. It is perfect and it's able to convert the soul. And that, what that word, look at that. Convert the soul means to dramatically change a person on the inside, something you can't do. I share that all the time. You can reform yourself. You can stop doing certain things. You can do all those things. You cannot change yourself. God's word through preaching, praying, singing, teaching, sharing the gospel can convert the soul. That's why you always must use God's word all times and always. Think about this. God's word is infallible when it comes to gender. It's infallible. All right? There are two genders. Jesus said in the beginning God made them male and female. God's word is infallible when it comes to marriage. Jesus spoke of a husband and a wife till death do us part. God's word is infallible when it comes to creation. God spoke the creation in the God's word is infallible when it comes to salvation. Jesus Christ is the only way. All right. So who are you going to trust? You have to trust somebody. Are you going to trust what God says or are you going to trust what the world says, which will change in 15 years or five years anyway? I mean, it changes about every five years anyway. All right, notice the last thing. Jesus would say this about God's word. It is living. It is alive. Notice what Hebrews 4 says, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive or living and active. Every other book on the planet is dead. I love what MacArthur says. He says, the word of God is living. This is really where the author puts its emphasis. Notice how the Greek is written. In the original language, in the Greek, when the writer of Hebrews wrote this, the word order is this way. Living is moved to the very beginning of the sentence, and literally it reads, living for the word of God is. And when you want to emphasize a word in the Greek language, you front load that word at the beginning of the sentence to draw attention. For the word of God is living. Every other book is dead. This book alone has life. This book alone is living. Martin Luther says, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. Spurgeon said, this book has wrestled with me. This book has smiled at me. This book has frowned at me. This is a living book, and only a living book can give life. Life produces like it's the word of life. Think about this. It is living, and look at the word active, which means it's always it doesn't have an expiration date. It doesn't have batteries. Aren't you thankful? It doesn't. I've shared this with you before, but I preached so much and shared so many stories. I can't remember if I told the Wednesday night crowd or you guys. But I remember when I was probably about 10 years old, my, my grandpa had cows, right? I think he had about 15 to 20 acres, 15 acres. And he had a barbed wire fence. He had three strands, okay? And cows were getting out. And, I, and we'd have to help him, you know, rustle the cows in or whatever. And I remember he'd come home, and he, he'd come out, he took us outside, boys, come here, i got to show you something. He said, you better listen to me. He said, you see this box right here? He said, yeah. He said, you see that red light? I said, yeah. What's it doing? I said, it's beeping, and it's, it's just flashing. He said, as long as that light's flashing, that middle strand is electric. Don't touch it. Me and my brother went, okay. <laughs> so guess what we did? <laughs> we said, I mean, is he like a scientist or something? I mean, that's my grandpa, you know. He works at Broad Hill and he has cows. I said, that can't, can't happen. You cannot put electric on this fence. So you know what we did? On three, we grabbed it. <laughs> you know, it fell down. And then I said, I bet if you touch it with a stick, I bet it won't do nothing. I, I said, go ahead, Jeff. You touch it with a stick, I'll touch it with a stick. He touched it with a stick, <laughs> you know. I said, I ain't touching it with a stick. Well, anyway, <laughs> this is our logic. This is our logic. There's no way... That electric can run all the way around these acres. There's no way. I mean, I was a sugar loaf. I was pretty much a scientist already. And I said, it can't happen. We're up there talking. It can't happen. It can't happen. And we went down. I said, as far as the land goes that way, there's a, y'all know what this is, a backer barn? 
we had a backer barn. I said, let's go down to the backer barn and just see if it'll still electrocute us. <laughs> Brilliant idea for a 10-year-old. <laughs> so we go down there, and we're standing there. It took us like an hour. I said, you going to touch it with your hand? Nope, I'm not either. You going to touch it with a stick? Nope. You going to touch it with grass? Nope. So we decided what we was going to do. And I told my brother, I said, you go first. All right? <laughs> I said, if you do it, I'll do it. This God is my witness. This is not Baptist preacher talk. Okay? He did it. And he started screaming like a first grade girl. Okay? And I took off running. And I took off running. And I said, Grandma, something bad's happened to my brother. She says, what? I said, he'll be here in a little while. Make me some fried taters. So we just <laughs> ate them. But think about this for a minute. It didn't matter where we went on Pop's property. He was going to get electrocuted. Okay? And I'll tell you this much. I don't care where you're at on the planet. I've been to Haiti. I've been to the Philippines. This book's still alive. I preached on a Leagueway Island and saw men give their lives to Christ because I used this book. I've been in prison with some of the most deplorable people that I didn't even know what they did. And I've seen this book change their lives. You know why? It's living and active. I've been in hospice with people dying, brutal deaths because of cancer or whatever. And this book, I've seen this book change people's lives. Listen, I've been in hospitals. You just don't know how many this year. And saw this book change people's lives. So I want to tell you something. I don't care where you're at on the planet, whether your life's good or bad. This book is living and active. This is God's word. It's historically reliable. It is infallible. It is without error. And this book is alive, friends. Listen, don't you love God's word? God has exalted his word over his name, the psalmist tells us. What a wonderful, wonderful book. So, so what? <laughs> You know, when I preach on these attributes, I'd look around and i go, so what? God's good. So what? God loves us. So what? God's majestic. What does that mean for us? So what? So what should I do in response to this? Notice these three things. This is what I should do with my life. If this is God's word, I should listen to it. I should listen to it, be preached and taught. I should. I should listen to it. I should read God's word. A person I love to hear preach, he's a mega church pastor, 10,000, 20,000 people being in his church services this weekend. He was interviewed and he said, if I could get my church to do one thing, what would it be? He said, just to read the Bible. <laughs> he said, just read it. You know, I got probably a hundred translations on my phone. Just read it. And what we're wanting to do today is we're wanting to give some away. I'm going to ask Kevin to come up here. Will you bring those Bibles up here? Jesse, those aren't your Bibles. I saw you looking at them, but they're not yours. So we're going to give some of these away. Some of our favorite study Bibles. Now, I want to tell you something. When I started getting into study Bibles, God really started changing my, uh, my way of studying. And what we have here first is a student Bible. You want to tell them about that Bible, Kevin? You can come right here and tell them about it. Kevin, pick some of these out. This is a student Bible. <laughs> <laughs> now, it is, it is kind of a, uh, a little oh, bit he'll, shorter he'll version <laughs> of the ESV study Bible, ESV translation, excellent translation, English Standard Version. But this is a compact version, really designed for uh, young or older students, 20-somethings. So that's what this one is. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to give this one away. You don't have to be a student to receive it. It's just, it's just called a student Bible. But if you're in a student section, in your hymnal, there'll be a post-it note. So if you'll open up your hymnals, any, everybody over there, anybody, if you're in that section right there, just open up your hymnal. There'll be a post-it note in one of those. So if you have that, very good. Let's give her a hand. She won the Bible. So next we have the Home and Study Bible. This is a New King James. All these will be New King James because that's the version that I, well, not all of them, but most of them will be New King James. The study notes in this one are excellent as well. This is one that Kevin's recommended. We have two of these. So if you're in the right, my right section over here, that's you guys, just look in your, your hymnal. And if you have a Bailey Roney one, okay. Bailey, you read that to Thomas. Go ahead and take that. So congratulations. That's an excellent Bible. And then we have another uh, home and study Bible. So if you're in the center section, just look in your hymnal and we'll see uh, who won those. So who won that one? Mar won. Mar's a Duke fan. Pray for her salvation, okay? This is an ESV study Bible. I love this study Bible. It has pictures of the tabernacle. Um, some, of the, some of our top uh, uh, scholars have uh, give study notes in here. It's excellent. 
if you don't win this Bible, you can get it on Kindle. Um, it, it really, it's one of my favorite study Bibles. It's my second favorite study Bible. So if you're on the left-hand side, if you open up your hymnal, and if it's not in front of you, you may want to check anyway because you can still win it. And Kevin placed these post-it notes. If y'all want to get mad, get mad at Kevin. All right, and the last one is my favorite. This is my go-to study Bible, the John MacArthur study Bible. This is in a New King James translation that we use. If, if somebody comes to me and they say they want a Bible, which I'll buy you a Bible. I don't care who you are. I'll buy you a Bible. God's blessed me. Wait a minute, Kevin. I'll, uh, <laughs> what, I'll do, what I'll do is give you this study Bible because John MacArthur is one of my favorite teachers. Do I agree with everything he says? No, that's fine, but he's a lot smarter than I am. He is just such a tremendous preacher, such a tremendous scholar. And his study Bible has been a blessing to my life. Uh, I really refer to it almost daily and weekly. So we don't do anything for the balcony. So if you're in the balcony, who, uh, who won? We got two people saying they won, so somebody's not telling the truth. <laughs> you're a Redskin fan, so I'm not sure. Did you? <laughs> no, here. My little... I think I put an extra one in there. Okay. Kevin said that he put two up there, so we owe Sharon a Bible. Okay, Sharon, we'll get you a Bible. We'll take it out of Kevin's expense account. All right? Well, let's give them a hand, everybody. Hey, and I will say this in closing. Um, the first set of commentaries that I ever owned, now, I, didn't, I was working in furniture at the time. We started having kids. You know how that goes. Didn't have a dime to my name. People started giving me stuff. Before I started teaching commentaries, I mean, they're very expensive, okay? Study Bibles, these study Bibles are very expensive, all right? Very expensive. So if you want one, all right, and you really need one and you'll use one, if you contact me, I'll get you one. I have commentaries in my office that I'll give you, okay? Because I have resources to be able to get them. So if you need anything that will help you grow spiritually to come to understand God's Word a little bit better, you contact your preacher, and I'll get it for you, and it'll be free, Okay? Now, if too many of you do it, I don't have to get a second job, but I will do it. I've probably given away personally over $1,000 to $2,000 worth of Bibles, and I'm happy to do it. I've given away commentary sets that I cried when I gave them away, but I just said, Lord, you'll just take this and use it in somebody's life. So if you need anything, if you're a Sunday school teacher and you're teaching on a certain book, you see us and we'll get you the resources that you need, okay? But here's in closing. Jesus said he was the Word. Jesus said... The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what Christmas is. Jesus tabernacled among us. said He came into His own and His own didn't receive Him. Okay? But He did say this, that whoever believes in Him, whoever trusts in that's what that means. I trust in You. Not just intellectually, but Lord, I give my life to You. Like I did when I was 20. I, I, I didn't just ask to be saved. I said, Jesus, I'm giving You my life. This is a life-changing decision I'm making here. Everything in my life is about to change from this day forward. And it did. And I'm thankful. He says that whoever believes in Jesus, he has given the right to be called the children of God. Think about that for a minute. That God is my Father. It's an amazing thought to me. I still can't get over that. That Christmas, Jesus comes, he lives among us, he dies, he rises from the dead. If I trust in that, not only am I saved, but I have a relationship. I have a Father. A Heavenly Father. Is that not an amazing thought? And the Bible goes on to say, and I share this a lot, whosoever calls by faith on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will be saved from what? You've got to be saved from something. You'll be saved from the wrath of God, hell, damnation, and all that comes with it. Jesus said, don't fear him who can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy body and soul in hell afterwards. Okay? Place your faith and trust in Christ. As a matter of fact, when I used to open up this Bible, I had a family Bible before I, before I got saved. It was like Charlie Brown's teacher talking. I was like, what is this? This is madness. I don't understand any of it. And then when the Lord saved me, he gave me eyes to see. See, natural man can't understand spiritual things. You just can't. The only way to understand this book fully is to know the author. And I'm thankful that I just not only have a Bible, but I know the author of the book. Okay? If you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, I'm going to ask you to stand with me with every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. You can, of course, if you want to. You can talk to me after the service. Just quietly... In this moment, if you'll just bow your heads and close your eyes, we're not going to keep you long. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, why don't you pray something like this, Jesus? Today, today, I believe, I trust 
I ask you to save me. I repent and I turn from my way of living to yours. You're my only hope for salvation. And Jesus, on this Sunday morning, I ask you to save me. I give my life completely and totally to you. Then for the rest of us here as Christians, I just want to challenge you today. God wrote a book, an amazing book that is alive. Make a commitment today. Don't make a New Year's resolution. Just say, Jesus, starting today, I'm going to spend a small amount of time every day in your word. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we just want to tell you that we love you today. Lord, this is your time and these are your people. And I pray that you be honored and glorified through this invitation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As they lead us in this song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. just want to remind you that tonight the movie will start at 5 p.m. This isn't like uh, the movie theater where they start 45 minutes later. So please be here by 5 p.m. We'll start the movie at 5 p.m. Also, if you've prayed to receive Christ today, you can talk to myself today or anytime this week. If you need help with Bible things, you contact me this week. God bless you. Hope you have a great Sunday afternoon. Hope to see you back here tonight.